Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everyone. Welcome back to the Ilmfeed podcast. I'm your host, Shabir Hassan. Hope you're all doing well, keeping safe. We're back with uh, another episode. Um, and uh, today is going to be a, a really interesting one. It's probably the first time on the podcast that we're going to be having this particular discussion related to uh, Islamic finance, something that we haven't really touched on before. Uh, I'm rubbish at numbers. So we bring an expert on. Uh, I never liked maths or anything to do with it. But alhamdulillah, there's certain areas which are really, really important and significant. And that's why today we're welcoming the co-founder of Islamic Finance Guru, Brother Ibrahim Khan. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair Shabir. It's been a, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, alhamdulillah. Following a lot of much, much better people than me uh, before on this podcast. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Thank you for joining us. Great to have you on finally. And uh, how have you been? How's everything going? Yeah, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, life is good. Um, I think it's uh, when, when you're running your own startup, I think it's it gets very hectic. And mm. um, I think you, you go through these like sprint processes where, you know, three months on, three months off is like kind of more steady. So right now I'm going through a bit of a sprint. Um, right. And I think that, you know, this is going to be this this kind of uh, this kind of sprint process will probably carry on now for the next 10 years. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like especially with with the multiple lockdowns and the, the kind of the, the situation that we're all in kind of globally. I'm, I'm pretty sure like even from, from in the sector that you're in, it's probably been really interesting, like with the lockdowns, the economy, you know, stocks and stocks and shares and investments. And, you know, how is how is has have things shifted you know for you guys the work wise and focus wise because of the global pandemic yeah i I think it makes a big difference because people have a lot more awareness of their finances and they want to sort them out they have a lot more time because of lots of lockdown and uh, furlough and what have you and also they have a lot more cash because you know when you're unable to go to a, a local restaurant and you're unable to go to shops people end up saving more as well. So there's been a perfect storm of reasons why people now want to think about investing in personal finance. So yeah, pretty much every lockdown, we've we've seen a spike in traffic and people, you know, very interested in this whole area. And and obviously, you know, it, it, it causes a lot of um, questions in the minds of people as well when they start thinking about this stuff. So, um, yeah, we've got, yeah, we've got, we get a lot of questions these days and we've got telegram groups with questions on it as well. So I I think the impact has been, uh, just, you know, in one sentence, uh, a big spike in, Mm. in focus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I thought, I thought as much to be honest, uh, with, with, um, IFG, I'm quite interested in, in terms of like, you know, this, this, this startup and this, this is, it's it's really, to be honest, it's, it's, it's a platform that, um, you know, is, is, is quite, it's pretty cool and, and quite amazing to be honest with you. It's just really, really um, got some cool like resources on there. I'm just interested really in the journey um, thus far. Like uh, I'm pretty sure this is something that you're probably spending the majority of your time on these days. Uh, it probably wasn't like that once upon a time, I'm guessing, um, uh, you know, this, the background that you're coming from in, in finance in particular, um, where did that all start from for you? And then where did IFG come into it and, and, and what has the journey been since basically the, 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 you know, the conception of, of IFG? 
Great question. So it's uh, it's been a long time in the in the pipe work, uh, like a lot of things, you know, often are. Mm. And uh, you know, I I knew when I left university that I wanted to do something in Islamic finance. I wasn't really sure what, uh, because I ultimately I thought you know Islamic finance is hopefully a great way to help the Muslim community, you know, get uh, wealthier and you know improve themselves in some way, shape, or form. Um, and and I knew that there was various bits and bobs that you need to know to, in order to do Islamic finance successfully. Uh, one of them was, you know, make sure that you have relevant, you know, secular education in this field. Another one was, you know, do some kind of alim course or some some sort of traditional qualifications. So you, mm. you actually know what you're talking about from a, you know, the Nusul's perspective. And then uh, corporate experience, I think, is was quite important as well. Uh, and and then I guess you know getting a bit of a start in this in this whole arena, you you kind of need that, and those you know four jigsaw puzzle pieces, and I I don't and obviously I can in retrospect I can organize them in a nice little you know picture now, but they were kind of you know mulling around in a bit of a you know washing machine in, in my head, but um, Alhamdulillah you know I kind of. I plugged away at a few key things. So I did a master's in Islamic finance. I did my alim course, you know, with uh, the Salam Institute for weekends and, and what have you. Uh, then I did my corporate law training and spent some time in the industry. And Islamic finance gurus started off as a blog in 2015. Mm. Um, and it was just a labor of love, really, for us, because at that point we thought, you know what, let's just, you know, write about stuff that we're interested in. Uh, there doesn't seem to be anything out there like this because you know, we find some really complicated stuff on the internet and we get some really simple stuff. There's nothing in the middle. So let's mm. just write about it and see what happens. And uh, people found it quite useful and we you know, plugged away at it from 2015 to about 2019. So that's four years mm. uh, of just um, you know, interesting uh, research that we, we thought we'd share with, with, the, uh, with people. And I'm sure initially it was just the man and his dog reading it. Um, and, uh, and then it kind of expanded and and that's kind of how Islamic finance guru started and it was only in 2019 when me and Mohsin we were now qualified and we were thinking you know what I think we're, we're both entrepreneurial we want to do something now like we've got all these you know different jigsaw puzzle pieces together and we're at this stage in our life where we have a bit of experience we're now 28 29 let's do something so we set ourselves a timeline of two years to try and put IFG on a you know sustainable footing so that we could actually quit our jobs and do it. And uh, Alhamdulillah, things kind of snowballed. And uh, within nine months, we had to just pack it all in uh, and go full time. Uh, and, so and so we did that. Mohsin went full time late 2019. I went full time a few months after early 2020. And, uh, and yeah, we've just uh, got, got our heads down and been trying to, you know, make this thing work uh, ever since. Wow. I love hearing uh, stories like that, to be honest with you, things that, you know, start as a, as a passion kind of project. And then, you know, you end up quitting your job uh, at some point and saying, you know what, we need to we need to dedicate a lot more time to this. And, and pretty much it goes full time. I love hearing about that, especially when, you know, uh, what it involves is it's it's a form of khidmah as well, a service for the community, something which is is filling a gap. Like you said, you, you, you realize that there's this gap, there's this niche in this particular market, in this field, and you had to contribute something. So something that's, that's you know, I love hearing stories like that. Um, what's the feedback been like on both ends, positive, negative? Uh, because one thing I realized that you guys do a lot of 
you know, uh, quote unquote, kind of like controversial areas. So, you know, for some people anyway, like you might go on and you're speaking about mortgages, you're speaking about insurance, you're speaking about student loans. And these are things that have been discussed for many, many years now. And, you know, people, there's, of course, there's, there's going to be a a lot of contention and differences in opinion in this area. Uh, But it's something that I'm sure you've been consulting with scholars and looking into and researching. Um, How has that been? Because you're treading on like a, you know, a very kind of, you know, literally treading on ice here. So, how has that whole process been for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually not been too bad, to be honest, um, mm. because, you know, our line from the start was very much, you know, we we have training um, in, in these fields, but yeah. we're not here to give fatawa. Uh, and there's a very big difference between someone who, you know, has studied a little bit and someone who's like a faqih or a mufti. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, one needs to recognize that. Uh, and... At the same time, that doesn't mean that, you know, a Muslim must not therefore engage intellectually in uh, in any matter uh, unless they're a Mufti, because that's not, you know, that's not the spirit of our religion. Mm. Um, we, you know, we we uh, encourage people to think creatively and in, in intellectually and uh, critically. So that's kind of the perspective that we came at things with. And um, the way we, uh, you know, we approach these questions has, I guess, in many ways evolved over the last five, six years. Like our positions have pretty much stayed the same, but uh, the perspectives that we have and the, you know, the language and the approach that we take has evolved because, you know, before, uh, you know, my mum and, you know, her friends might read the article for like 10 seconds, uh, Mm. just kind of humour me. But then, you know, now we reach over 100,000 uh, visitors a month and what we say you know i'm constantly surprised by this is actually you know somewhat influential in you know shaping people's minds so what we say now i think carries a lot more responsibility so we can't be as um i guess you know blase or as uh you know we, we just need to be very careful about us saying something and that being taken the wrong way yeah. and one way we've, we've counteracted this is we've got a forum forum.islamicfinanceguru.com where we've got Mufti Faraz and Mufti Bilal on there who are both uh, obviously Muftis but also qualified in Islamic finance Mm. Uh, and that's been really helpful so you know the majority of stuff that we talk about are things that are concluded finished uh, agreed upon matters really Um, I mean pretty much everything in Islamic law has some kind of dissenting opinion but you know generally speaking uh, people are pretty you know a big broad camp are pretty happy with the way that you approach halal stock screening, for example, or yeah. broadly speaking, people or a, a group of a large group of scholars is ha- are happy with Islamic mortgages. So within that kind of group, we all we're doing is distilling that thinking in a way that people can understand from a, also mm. from a from a practical perspective. Uh, and where you've got like edge cases and cases where you need a fatwa, then you know Mufti Bilal, Mufti Faraz, Zindabad. <laughs> I like it. That's the thing, like Islamic, because you, you said like they're they're both muftis, so they're trained in that. But then they've also studied Islamic finance, because that's the thing. Islamic finance is another world in and of itself. It is another field in and of itself. Like even if you try to uh, study down the traditional kind of Alimia route, um, like you and I both have, it's not. I mean, you will touch on aspects of that in fiqh, but actually. You know, you're no way like uh, for me personally, like I'm no way near qualified to even speak about Islamic finance because that in and of itself is an area of specialization. Would you agree with that? 
completely. Uh, and even within Islamic finance, there are some areas that, you know, some people are better qualified and better equipped to deal with than others. Yeah. So, you know, if you're talking about the minutiae of accountancy, then you really need an accountant to be either in discussion or ideally you have a, a scholar who's an accountant who can talk about that. The same with law, the same with applications within a certain field. So, for example, you know, I would say that we are, uh, you know, this is probably the only field where we, I think, are authorities in the field um, is uh, startup investing, venture capital, that kind of area, private equity to some extent. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to debt based transactions, like we, we have a good working knowledge, but, you know, we're not because we don't do it. We're not practitioners. We're not you know, practicing that thing day in, day out, you you don't necessarily understand the nuances of uh, the structures or the law, uh, or also how behavior is, you know, between the different parties and the players in that specific mm. field. And that's really important to understand. And it's also important to understand the implications of, you know, taking a position versus taking another position and understanding where those uh, practices have come from. And and that is just simply not possible unless you are deep within a field. And mm. and that makes it very hard, um, you know, for for a scholar who may not necessarily be versed in finance to come in and understand, you know, how preference shares and waterfalls work within a venture capital uh, funding round when, you know, there's a negotiation going on and a decision needs to be taken. Like, I've just said about 10 different terms that they may not even have heard of. And that's yeah. perfectly fine, right? If uh, if Sheikh Abu Isa, for example, wants to give a fatwa on pharmacy, he'll say 10, 15 different terms that I may not have any sense of. And that's and that's fine. I think we, we, we should encourage scholars to have a good grounding generally about life in general. But, but then there are some specialist areas that are very difficult for, I think, the ordinary person to navigate or the ordinary scholar to navigate. Um, without um, having, you know, specific expertise. Mm. I think that's important to know, especially, um, I think, for not just within the scholarly world, outside of that, like, uh, you know, there's this expectation almost uh, when you approach a scholar, an alim, an imam, you can basically throw any question at them and and they must know, like, if not, what have you studied? Like, so you can throw an Islamic finance question at them. If, you know, someone else comes and you're expected to answer something related to marital law, someone else comes and it's like a, another fatwa on something else. But actually... You know, it's important to understand that, you know, of course, general understanding is one thing, but then to have a real grounding in, in another area requires a level of expertise and experience. Islamic finance is one of them. And I guess on that note, I mean, we could have discussed so many different areas today, right, in this one podcast, like, you know, just each of those areas, we can spend an episode on minimum on that area, right? So if we're talking about stocks and shares, and, you know, nowadays, a lot of people are talking about investing and so on, I think that is... That's that's actually a really good one to to discuss, but I know that's dominating the headlines somewhat. But I actually wanted to shift uh, our attention to another area, which I feel like the reason why I wanted to discuss this point is because I feel like um, it's perhaps an area that uh, a lot of Muslims may be neglecting. And again, you're the expert here, so you can you can tell me what your what you found the attitudes to be up until now on this, and that is the the whole. Um, discussion and concept of uh, wills in Islam or Islamic wills. Um, something which is, I guess, you know, it's it's a bit morbid and, and not many people want to think about it because, yeah. the, the, you know, you might be in your 20s, 30s right now thinking, 
I don't need to worry about a will. I mean, that's the last thing on my mind. I've got debts to pay off. I've got so much. Why would I think about a will right now? Um, and even even people who are maybe older, you know, uh, who who should be thinking about these things, they just don't know where to go, where to start, and they just kind of let things slide. Um, so that's that's really the area that I wanted to go into today. And again, maybe we're not going to cover everything, but there's a few things I think that, that's essential for us to know. Um, I'm going to start with just a few basic questions. It's like a quick fire round, right? I've got five questions. You can give me a yes or no. If you feel like you need to elaborate, you can elaborate, right? So it's like 30 seconds, five questions on this. So uh, you ready, yeah? Let's do it. Yeah, okay, bismillah. So first first question is, uh, is an, uh, is an is a will from an Islamic perspective, the same as a will, basically, that you would write up in this country, like a legal one? Yes or no? Uh, an, an Islamic will, you can make it legal. Um, okay. But um, it, it needs to be drafted in a certain way. Cool. So there's some there's some differences in the dynamics of it. Cool. Okay, fine. Uh, is uh, a will the same thing as a bequest? No. Uh, a bequest is a specific thing within a will, which give, where you char- give charity or give some sort of gift to people. Cool. All right. We'll come. We'll come to the details of that later. Um, is ha- is having a will a must or is it necessary? Uh, if you have, uh, in a nutshell, yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, it sounds like something that's really complex. Is that true? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> all, all of these things I can, I, I, I will give a nuanced answer. Cool. And um, the final one is, what if I'm broke? Do I still need to worry about having a will? Yes. Cool. All right. Cool. Fine. That's cool. I like, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna cover some of these areas in a bit more depth. But I just wanted to start with that to give people an, a bit of an idea. So let's start with the basics then. Um, why the why behind it? Why is it important? Why is it necessary? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Islamically, of course, it's something that is very, very encouraged. Um, a hadith say that you shouldn't leave, I think, two nights or three nights without having a will written um, if you've got something to bequest. Um, but more importantly, in the UK in particular, if you die without a will, then your uh, assets will be distributed according to English law rather than Islamic law. And English law is very different in the way it distributes uh, compared to Islam. English law will give a lot of uh, preference to your wife. um, And and Islamic law has a completely different approach to how things are done. And so the last thing that you want to do when you're exiting this life is, uh, you know, exiting on the wrong footing in front of the almighty. Uh, So that's why, uh, you know, having a will is so important. And and look, there's you know there's different kinds of wills out there. There's three Islamic wills as well, and I and I almost feel like there's uh, a, a person should probably write three different wills in their life. One is a free will where they write that when they're quite young, and because they don't really have that many assets, they can you know it's not not there's not not a lot of riding on it. Then perhaps once they have a few few more assets and they might get married or what have you, then I think having a paid will, but you know just like a uh, like a cheap paid will um, would make a lot of sense. And then when you have a lot more assets above the inheritance tax band of 325,000 in particular, that's when you might start thinking about getting a trust-based or a tax-efficient will. Uh, and we can go into like, you know, the tax efficiency and all that sort of thing. Uh, mm. Because, you know, without having a will, uh, if you have a lot of money, you can actually end up losing literally hundreds of thousands of pounds in tax 
um, wow. which could be quite easily avoided by just having a will. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of my approach where I, I almost feel like you need to have three different types over your lifetime. Interesting. Yeah, that kind of answers my next question, which was like, let's say you go about writing a will, you know, for someone who's complete beginner at this um, and they've got something kind of roughly set, but then say within a few years or by the time they do end up, you know, departing from this world, the situation is completely different. Uh, what what usually kind of happens in that case? Of course, you know, you, your, your advice is to do, you know, different wills at different stages of life. But what would yeah. usually kind of happen in that in that situation? So the way that Islamic wills are typically drafted uh, are that you've got executors and trustees um, who have a lot of power over how to distribute things. And the, the, the wishes of the person are that it must be according to Islamic law. So, mm-hmm. for example, 30, 40 years have passed and the original uh, people that you listed down as the Islamic inheritors, some of them have passed away. That's fine. Um, what would happen then is the executor or trustee would go to an Islamic scholar and like kind of work out what the new uh, Islamic inheritance should be. And mm-hmm. then they distribute according to that. Um, so that's kind of, um, you know, how it would work in practice. Um, and, you know, there are with will services, you know, you typically have um, some kind of way of keeping it up to date on an ongoing basis as well. Um which is um, which is something that you know perhaps people should look into when they go for an Islamic will. Hmm, interesting. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And like you spoke about um, earlier on, you mentioned uh, that the dynamics of you know the legal versus the Islamic um, is quite different, but you can kind of draft it in a way where it kind of meets. So you know, without going into too many technicalities, like how is that possible? Yeah, it, it, I mean, a will uh, needs to have certain key things. He needs to have witnesses. He needs to be signed. He needs to be in writing uh, as opposed to like electronic signatures and what have you. Um, it uh, needs to, uh, you know, cover off certain like key kind of uh, areas that you would expect to see within a will, such as bequests, what you actually want to happen with your money, with your body, uh, with your funeral um, plans. Uh, you might want okay, to. Okay, so it's not just it's not just including the the wealth and the assets. It's actually funeral and all of that is 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 factored in. Yeah, yeah, all of that's factored in. It's not it's not legal. You don't be like it won't be a um an illegal will if you didn't do that. But pretty much all wills would do that because it you know right. it makes sense to co- cover it all off. Um, and I mean the reason why you know we care about Islamic wills full stop uh, at Islamic Finance Guru is because. You know, for us, the mission is we want to help Muslims get wealthier uh, globally because we feel that that, um, you know, has lots of other beneficial outcomes um, for Muslims, like, you know, from a political and media and health and education perspective, etc. And what, you know, what would be a massive own goal by us is if we spend, you know, decades helping Muslims get their money in order and actually get investing and just get on top of their finances and actually maybe start making some money and, you know, saving up a nice retirement pot. Hmm. all of that to then you know be given away to hmrc you know with a 40 percent tax uh, on inheritance it just seems a big a big bit of a waste and hmm. our, our community i don't think it can afford that kind of leakage uh from our community's pot so i you know i, I the way i think about investment and fi- islamic finance and wills and all this stuff it's you know do it for yourself because obviously this is beneficial for you 
but also just do it for the community because you know you're just one person and you, and you die but then if 100 people who die without wills and that gets you know all that leakage happens that has a big impact on the next generation mm, okay so let's break it let's break it down some of the, the key points i think you've mentioned a few anyway so you've got one area which is um you know funeral where you want to be buried and things like that so you, so you can actually put that in there right um and i i'm assuming with like costs of the funeral as well can you yeah. put like your you can actually portion a portion of your money based on that right and and and, and essentially pay for that yeah. in advance yeah. right yeah. cover that okay cool and then then the other area is that is is then the other area pretty much down to whatever assets you have or is there some other areas that we're missing here so we've got the bequest section. So in, under Islamic law, you have a third that you can bequest, uh, and that's up to you. Um, you can bequest to pretty much everyone, unless you're trying to like, so you, you have Islamic inheritors, that, that's just determined by Islamic law, uh, depending on you know whoever is alive at that particular time. So you can't try and top up certain Islamic inheritors uh, in the bequest section, unless everyone agrees to that. Um, but then that gets quite technical. Um, yeah. But high level, you've got the request section, um, and then uh, you know the rest of the the money will be distributed up according to Islamic law. And then you have um, you know a letter of wishes sometimes, and you know your your letter uh, to your loved ones. Uh, you know, sending personal messages to people, uh, which you know I think a lot of people take advantage of, and it's you know it's quite a nice experience for them as well to just think about mm. that. And, time to think about that um and uh and, and that's pretty much you know the, the 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 most of it um perhaps one other thing to think about is like mri scans so um you might want to put into your will that you don't want an autopsy you would much rather have mm. an MRI scan so your body isn't uh, cut open and uh, these kind of wishes are actually quite important in particular for reverts because you know their families may not have any sense of whether or not you want to be buried or you want a cremation uh, and if you want an Islamic funeral or what have you. So having a will that specifies these things is actually quite helpful uh, for, for these groups in particular. Right. Interesting. So there's actually, that's, that's quite interesting. There's quite a few things to think about there um, and some really important ones, like where you want to be buried, how, in fact, how your body is even treated from a medical point of view, even after, uh, you pass away. That's 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 actually a really important one. Um, on the on the bequest note, so basically just to clarify, um, it's essentially that up to one third, you can do pretty much whatever. So like in terms of giving, to, you've you've chosen a charity, a cause, and a third basically goes towards that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Fine. Um, now there's something else that you kind of alluded to just there, which is um, with permission of others, you can kind of tweak. You know, because we have like in the Quran and so on, like we have certain, you know, percentages or fractions, whatever you want to call it, of that wealth that needs to be given to whoever it may be, children, daughters, sons, uh, spouse, and so on. Now, can that increase essentially? Um, and if so, what would you have to do in that case? Is that something that you can dictate and uh, just come up with or does that require discussion with others? Uh, yeah, so when when you die, the property is Allah's right, and He decides what happens with it. Uh, you have a right over one third, but even that you can't use to mess up the you know the allocation that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala set up. However, if everyone is happy, 
uh, and you've you know you've made sure everyone is happy both at the time that you write the will, but also at the time you know we encourage at the actual distribution. Then uh, then of course you know it's possible for let's say you know one of the sons is quite wealthy and his uh, sister isn't, and he, the son says you know what uh, maybe you know, let's just give equal amounts to both me and and my uh, sister, whereas in Islamic law he would typically get double whatever his mm-hmm. sister gets. Um, and if everyone's happy with that and he's happy with that, then that's perfectly fine. Um, right. But what mustn't happen is that the parent unilaterally decides things uh, or the whoever unilaterally decides things according to their wishes, because it's not really up to you uh, what you know what happens with your estate. It's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it's important to make sure that you don't cut out people as well from the will. So even mm. people that were estranged with, so, you know, your father might have gone away when you were a child or you might have lost touch with your brother or whoever it is. You mustn't uh, then decide to cut them out of the will in some way, shape or form. You may, if you like, leave a non-binding letter in the back uh, of the, the will, which says, you know, to the brother or, or father, whoever that, you know, I would prefer if you don't take this money. But uh, but, you know, that it's not it's up to the father uh, or whoever it is that you know, you're kind of unhappy with if they take mm. that money. So these are important things to just bear in mind um, when, you know, thinking about requests. Mm, okay. Um, you said before as well that uh, it, it can be quite complex. Um, why is that? What, what exactly is the complex part? Uh, is it is it is this something that the person themselves have to worry about? Or is it more complex for whoever it is that you're dealing with at that point? Uh, the, the wills generally you mean yeah just just wills generally yeah so the uh, i actually think wills are uh, like with most things you can either look at it from one perspective and say they're quite simple uh, mm. or you can look at it from another and say they're quite complex uh, i think that uh, if there's no um uh, out of the ordinary situations uh, with an ordinary will, it's actually quite straightforward. So we do these online, you know, online wills where someone can complete that within about 15 or 20 minutes, just answering just some straightforward questions. But there are always going to be additional wrinkles um, where with different people, for example, you know, if you've got disabled people in the family, or you have people receiving some sort of social security benefits, or you might have uh, a large estate, uh, or you might not be married to your wife, uh, or you've got assets in various different countries. So there's lots of you know wrinkles that can come up um, quite you know uh, in the you know one one in every probably uh, two wills will have some sort of wrinkle, uh, mm-hmm. which makes it slightly more complicated. Um, and that's why you know I I recommended that initially when you have no assets, it's fine to get a free will. But then after that, it's good to pay for a will, even if it's a cheap one, just because you want a second pair of eyes on it. Uh, to make sure that you're not, you know, you're not doing something silly. Okay, makes sense. Uh, well, just quickly again to clarify another point when it comes to, I know this, this this podcast is weird because it's getting really technical and normally it's like a conversation and I feel like it's just me like firing questions. So no, I, no, hope no. You, I hope you don't mind and I hope that the, the listeners don't mind either. Like I'm pretty sure the listeners are going to appreciate this inshallah. Like it's, it's a learning curve for, for all of us. Um, but when we say assets, Right. When it comes to wills, what exactly is included? Is that is that just the money that you have in your bank? Are we talking property? Are we talking, you, let's say you've got a car, you've left yeah. behind, I don't know, jewellery. Like, is, is all of that included or not? 
Good question. So everything that is yours is automatically included in your estate. However, it doesn't mean that, you know, if you don't write it down, it's not included because otherwise you'd have to write down literally everything, which is, which yeah. is right. Like laptop, iPad, exactly. like imagine all of those yeah. things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what we suggest and what the typical approach is, is that you make a list of your high level assets and high level debts as well. So this is what I meant about, you know, someone who's not got any money, but might be in debts probably mm. makes sense you to still have a will because what if you die and no one knows about your debts? Yeah. So um, that's why it's important. And, um, you know, the kind of assets that you might have include your property, uh, your bank accounts, your shares, business property, uh, gold and jewelry, perhaps on the land in various places. Uh, these are all different types of investment that we very, very regularly see. Um, and, um, you know, you, uh, the other thing to bear in mind here is that you can get joint assets as well. So actually, if you are a joint holder, joint tenant on a property or, or a bank account, you've got a joint bank account, legally, that money will automatically go to your the other person upon your death, right. and it sits outside of your estate. So what that means is that isn't actually part of your estate full stop, according to English law. Uh, and that's uh, a quite important point to kind of bear in mind because uh, A, you know, it can be used for tax planning purposes, but B, it can also lead to these slightly, you know, absurd outcomes where, you know, you, you need to just kind of be aware of the fact that if 90% of your estate is a property, that's a joint property, and you that automatically will go to your spouse because they're the joint holder, then that kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, an Islamic inheritance because... Mm your spouse isn't necessarily supposed to get 90%. Uh, so these are the kind of like things that you just need to be, you know, you need to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, I'm just thinking like, you know, in, in like films and things like it shows like when people pass away, like there's family feuds and, you know, people are like, you know, they, even though they've left behind um, a will, like, you know, people are like, they're suspicious of each other. And they're like, no, I deserve more. Like, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, like this stuff happens in real life. Um, and even though, of course, we all have good faith in, in, in our family members and so on, like, have you come across this before? Like, literal disputes between family members, even if things are written down, people are like, you know what, I deserve more, you know, you deserve less or something. Have you come across this? It can happen. Um, I mean, it, it happens in my own, it's happened in my own family where uh, it often happens where you don't have anything written down. That's the worst outcome. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all all up, up for grabs. So uh, very important, try and avoid dispute as much as you can by writing something down, uh, by also making it legally binding. So that just reduces the the risk around it. Um, but yeah, if, if you know you have a dispute, then you have a dispute, uh, and that typically then ends up in uh, in court where the you know some judge has to decide what needs to happen. But uh, but yeah, there are there are definitely ways that you can just mitigate that as much as you can by a mm frank conversations early early doors like you know sometimes you're not really clear uh, who owns what so if a son has paid for an extension on a house does that mean he has a share in a house or not like he might think he does but he doesn't you know these kind of frank conversations need to happen and the process of writing a will can often flush those out because mm. it might not be a very easy conversation to have at the time but you you know you'll save yourself about a decade worth of feuding thereafter uh, if you, um, you know, and your kids, you'll save them all a lot of headache if you just sort it out eventually. Mm, true, true. What, what if, on the flip side, in the unfortunate uh, case, 
where you find yourself where a family member has passed on and they haven't um you know dealt with the the the, the legal side of things or the islamic side of things with a will what do you do yourself in that situation do you have to now uh, go and you know contact whatever solicitor or something and then deal with that yourself is that how it works uh, so it depends on how much of the how much money they've left behind mm. um it's a small amount of money then it's typically like not really much of a I mean a big deal you know you don't even need to uh you know go go through the you know the official process or anything uh, it's just seen, seen as a small estate and you can just divvy it up amongst the family and you can keep it quite islamic where um there are larger estates then you will need uh, a letter of um administration um where you go to the local probate office and you use the will or if you do if you don't have a will then you know you you have to um you know get an, a, some kind of uh, letter some kind of document to show that you are now the executor and the person mm. that control and um it, it's typically still fairly possible to distribute things islamically on behalf of your um you know the deceased however where it gets complicated is if people are unhappy with that approach because you know then you you've got just a recipe for a dispute you know, you've mm. got a recipe for disaster coming down the line because nothing's written down there's a, there's an executor that wants to do it islamically but there isn't actually any real basis for doing it islamically uh, under english law and if someone wants to kick up a fuss then they will go to court and then the english law will decide what happens and you can't just you know uh, randomly uh, you know reduce the wife's you know portion to an eighth if the wife yeah. is up and wants 60% or whatever it is she'll probably end up you know getting it or a decent portion of it so it's to try and avoid those kind of scenarios where having a will is super helpful mm. okay now i think that's been quite insightful and uh, i know i've been firing a lot of questions at you so <laughs> on, on on wills but is there is there anything else that i've missed or you feel like you need to add in on, on this on this discussion yeah so um i think that uh doing doing your will um you know you, there are a whole bunch of different area, avenues that you can now explore to do your will um and you know obviously we we do these online wills ifg wills but um for us the key thing is that wills are done full stop right um, and you know you can do it with i think east london mosque have a service um you know you've got i wills you've got farani taylors just you know google islamic wills uk you'll find a whole bunch of people on there um the key thing is you know get it sorted uh and try and get it sorted as quickly as you can and like don't worry too much about you know the uh, you know i know there's been a lot of uh technical stuff thrown around in this uh, in this you know podcast but ultimately you know you don't need need to necessarily worry about it too much from your perspective you know fill out the form um and uh, and after that let you know the lawyers worry about that and if there's any issues they'll they'll tell you Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um I want to come back to uh just just moving away from from the wills for a moment. Uh something you mentioned earlier on about like what IFG in terms of the vision is that you want Muslims to essentially be become wealthier, right? And you want them to become a bit more efficient with their wealth. Just tell us a bit about that vision and how all of these things that you guys are, you know, whether it's wills or whatever it is, ties into this and how you feel like you're you're helping muslims to inshallah at some point achieve that yeah sure so there's two way broad ways that we try and help 
um, and, and the broad ways that we think that Muslims can get wealthier. One is by helping every single Muslim with their personal finances, their investments, getting them out of debt, getting a will sorted, all of these mm. little things, uh, little nudges that can save, you know, 50 pounds here, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, whatever it is. And, and just make sure that the money that already exists in the Muslim world is growing and is looked after mm. properly. And then the other thing that we do is something called IFG.BC, which is an angel syndicate that invests in early stage startup businesses. Um, and the idea there is that if Muslims, uh, Muslim investors can help uh, fund Muslim founders uh, of businesses and create the next Google or Amazon or whatever it is, yeah. that has a game changing impact on the Muslim community. Uh, over the next 20, 30 years and can allow Muslims who happen to be about 20% poorer than the rest of the world to catch up really quickly. Um, and and those are the kind of two broad ways that we try and achieve this goal. And things like Islamic wills come in directly to that uh, because, you know, as I said, if you're exiting the world and, you know, there's a 40% tax on the way out, then that's kind of done undone 40% of your hard work. Uh, mm. So we definitely don't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's really important actually to, that you're thinking about that. I think um, a lot of the times, of course, we we kind of worry about our own wealth and uh, you know increasing in our own wealth and so on. But I think there's there's huge benefits to thinking about the wider Muslim community, like what the benefits would be. Um, let's say, for example, just in the UK, you know, we can't speak maybe globally, but even just within the UK, like if we were to think about okay, if we can invest within the community what could the benefits be um and just from your like again from because clearly you've thought about this a lot more than i have like what are some of the benefits like if we as muslims collectively um thought about the community and increasing the wealth of the community as opposed to individually uh, what are some of the benefits that we could potentially be seeing uh, I think uh, some of the benefits that we could potentially be seeing are that Muslims uh, don't suffer as much Islamophobia uh, because, um, you know, the way that you tackle Islamophobia is uh, partly legal, right? If you if you right. have the legal clout and the money to be able to uh, sue someone uh, if they do some kind of a Islamophobia, then that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and most people will quite very quickly sort themselves out. You know, all of these uh, newspapers that um, write uh, horrible things about Muslims and scholars and what have you, um, uh, it's good that scholars are now, you know, do take them to court and hold them to account. But, you know, they, it takes some money to do that. And yeah. it's not it's not straightforward. And it doesn't always, uh, you know, it doesn't always come through that the person will take someone to court. Um and, and most scholars will have to then ultimately, you know, they, they, they succumb, come to some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, monetary settlement with, with that newspaper. But if there was some kind of central body that just was happy to fund the whole thing and took it to court and made a public example of these newspapers, you know, that that's just one simple way having a bit of money can have a major impact. I mean, look at it this way, right? So we're running a pension campaign at the moment where we want people to be uh, on top of their pensions. About 30% of Muslims don't have a pension, and that mm. will cause £13 billion pounds, uh, to be lost from the Muslim community over wow. the next generation. Now, uh, a big part of that is because there aren't Muslim pensions available with most workplaces uh, or, or a lot of workplaces. And in order to change that, you need to have uh, significant clout in media in politics and also you need to have clout to take uh, uh, these employers to court 
Uh, and that can cost, you know, I, I was talking to a barrister because we're actively thinking about doing this for the community. Uh, it can, you know, you probably need to have about 200,000 just in case you end up losing the case to cover the wow. cost, uh, at least, right? And, and, and you know, that that's money that we we need uh, as mm. a Muslim community to do stuff with. Um, and then, and then I think there's you know educational outcomes that come from it. I think there's uh, health outcomes that come out from uh, just you know being a bit more affluent. There are a whole host of different ways. Uh, you know, we, we're I think three times more represented in prisons than our uh, mm. population size. Uh, and there, there is huge deprivation in uh, particularly the northwest, northeast, but also pretty much every Muslim area in the UK. Uh, these are major, major problems. Uh, and I'm not saying that just by becoming wealthier, you suddenly like, you know, that's the fix all solution. Yeah. It's one of the solutions. I think there's a spiritual element. I think there's a cultural element. I think there's a, you know, we need more people in academia and, you know, thought and all sorts of, you know, different areas. But uh, economics is a big aspect of it. Um, mm. And it's that, you know, that's what we're passionate about, what we feel we can make a difference with. So, yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, inshallah. I think, um, yeah, even when you were talking there, like even from a media perspective, like let's say like Ilmfeed as an example, I think one of the benefits that you mentioned was actually strengthening the Muslim media side of things. And, and that takes a lot of money because if you look at all the big boys out there, it's it's essentially they, they're well financed and they have the, the, the power now basically within the within the media space. And I think with with us as Muslims, you know, maybe we, we've got some magazines here and there, radio channel here and there, TV channel here and there, but really as a voice for the Muslim community to be to be taken seriously. I think again, like like you said, right? Um through um investing in the community, these are kind of uh, some of the benefits media education and so on so yeah i think these are these are some really important things to think about um and uh, i think yeah you know personally for me i've, I've learned a lot on this episode uh i i just wanted you again to just take all of us through including our listeners and viewers um if they now want to go down this islamic wills route so you mentioned ifg wills where can we find that um you've, you've said it takes about 15 20 minutes just take us through how we can find it and what the basic steps are yeah, sure. So um, one way of just, you know, being able to summarize all of this, we've got a, a Wills Guide. So just search for Wills Guide UK um, on Google and you'll find uh, a very, very detailed guide of all of the things that we've talked about and much more uh, yeah. on the internet that we've done. Um, but if you want to just get a will, wills.islamicfinanceguru.com is, uh, is the reference. And uh, you just fill out a form online. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you press, um, you know, uh, submit and uh, voila, you know, it comes over to us. We then, you know, work on it in the background, um, you know, from a legal perspective. And also we get Mufti, uh, Mufti Bilal, who works with us to review it as well from an uh, inheritance perspective. And then if there are any questions that we need to ask, we'll ask you. Uh, but typically within a few days, you'll have a will uh, done and dusted. Um, and nice. if you... You know, if you if you are a high net worth individual, you know, with maybe like over two million pounds worth of assets, then, uh, you know, you should probably go to a solicitor um, and, you know, a solicitor that can uh, that has, you know, corporate experience as well and tax experience, because uh, with larger estates, you need a lot more um, you know, expertise in other areas as well to kind of uh, make sure that you get the best outcome. Mm. Cool. Wills.islamicfinanceguru.com. Uh, I'm definitely going to be paying a visit, inshallah. 
um, and going through that. And honestly, I think um, to really summarize, uh, it's if, if, if anything, this episode should have really um, highlighted the importance, um, I, I, I think, for us as Muslims, uh, not just in the UK, you know, anywhere in the world, um, to really take this seriously, to really think about it, not just for our own benefit, our own akhirah, um, but for the benefit, like you said, of your like immediate family to just make life easier for them. And like you said, for the community um, as well. Um, and I think, yeah, it's 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 something that I'm really, really glad that we had a, a discussion on and got details of. And apologies once again for uh, firing all, all those questions mm-hmm. at you. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us. May Allah bless you and the work that you guys are doing at Islamic Finance Guru. Jazakum um, khair. And uh, yeah, inshallah, we'll... Uh, We'll have to catch up again soon. Definitely, definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And to our listeners and viewers, make sure you check out Islamic Finance Guru, the amazing work they're doing. Check out the their uh, Islamic Wills Guide as well. And inshallah, we will be back uh, with more episodes for you very, very soon. Subscribe to our channel. Take care of yourselves. And inshallah, we'll see you next time. From myself, Shabir, from Brother Ibrahim. Take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.